All right. Uh, here's a scenario, guys. You go to the doctor mm-hmm. and the doctor tells you you have prediabetes. What? Yeah. Well, yeah. Man, Sorry. You, you know, <laughs> like, already answered my next question. Uh, What's your reaction? Uh, like, what? What is pre-diabetes? Like pre-diabetes? I thought it was a yes or a no thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Troy, what's your reaction? I mean, you're a doctor, so, but I'm still curious. Oh, I know. Yeah, my heart rate would go up about 30 beats a minute, I think, hearing that, just knowing the potential complications of diabetes, just hearing I was kind of in that pre-diabetes range. So it would make me very anxious. Yeah. So you are aware of pre-diabetes, right, Troy? Sure. Yeah. It's something you've heard of. Mitch, it's something you've never heard of before? I think in passing in a meeting or two, but it's not something that I've thought about. All right. So I was told I was close to the pre-diabetes level one time at a doctor's appointment. And I was a lot like Mitch. I was like, what? What's pre-diabetes? Um, but it was kind of a shock to my identity because, you know, I was being told I was close to this edge of this health condition. Uh, was a bit of a shock because I consider myself a healthy person. I mean, at the time, I had a little bit more body fat that I wanted. Um, I didn't think I was really that overweight. I didn't think I was somebody that was, you know, at risk of diabetes. A lot of people would tell me I was skinny. If I said, you know, I'd lose some fat. They'd be like, no, you don't. I didn't feel any different. I still mm. thought I was eating healthy and exercising. So it was, it was a bit of, shock, of a shock to find out that my fasting blood glucose was high enough that I was close to being close to prediabetes. But it was a turning point. I've talked about this on the podcast. Like those numbers really forced me to start becoming honest with myself. And I realized I was once active in eating well. I really wasn't at that point in my life. The reality did not match the image I still had of myself. And prediabetes is something that if you're told you should have, it's something you should really take seriously. And that's what we're going to talk about on the show today. This is Who Cares About Men's Health with information, inspiration, and a different interpretation of men's health. My name is Scott. I bring the BS, the MD to my BS, Dr. Troy Madsen. Scott, it's good to be here. Good to be talking about prediabetes. And he's an I care about my health convert, producer Mitch. Hi, happy to be here and not happy to be talking about diabetes. <laughs> and uh, Dr. Matt Shabbat, he practices internal medicine, and he's going to help us better understand prediabetes and how to find out if you're at risk and, and what you should do if you receive the same news that I received. Dr. Shabbat, welcome to the show. Hi, nice to be here. I am, for one, very excited to be talking about diabetes. I'm sorry, Mitch. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. I'm sorry, Mitch. Yeah. Um, why? Why are you excited about it, Dr. Shabbat? <laughs> Dear Lord, why? Um, mostly because I feel like it doesn't get talked about enough. Um, and like we were sort of alluding to before the show, um, this is a big deal, right? Like this is a thing that is out there hurting lots of people. And we don't appreciate that enough. So um, I, I'm just psyched that we get to take a minute and talk about it. How would you want a patient to react if you delivered the news to them that they have prediabetes? What would be the ideal reaction? Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> I feel that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel bad saying that because it's like, yeah, I want to scare people. But I kind of do, right? I, because more often I'm met with meh, you know? And, um, and we shouldn't be meh about it. We should be... Uh, you know, driven to action because this is a thing that, uh, while very common, is not normal or good. I mean, it is uh, something that needs to be sort of like the warning bell, right, to do more about it. So when you say meh, is it like your patients are just like, oh, well, it's not diabetes yet, like, right. and then push it, put it off, like procrastinate? Mm-hmm. 
It's like when you're driving and you see the sign that says that the speed limit's going to change. Oh, sure. And it's like, eh. <laughs> yeah, until you get there, I'm not going to worry about it. It's sure. like, the, it's like the yellow light, the, the traffic light. You speed up. So they're like, yeah. Well, yeah, more soda. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. This is why I was so excited, Troy, when you were you were worried about having pre-pre-diabetes. And I oh, was yeah. like, oh, man, I can't get people to care as much as you. So good job. <laughs> Thanks. No, I, I'm really surprised to hear that because I thought the response would be, oh, wow, I am cutting sodas. I am driving dropping weight, but it's surprising to hear that people are just kind of like, okay. Yeah. So uh, talk about how common it is, um, Dr. Shabbat. And if you don't have the numbers, I do, but I mean, in your practice, do you see this diagnosis a lot? Oh yeah, every day. And um, I'm hoping that we have the same numbers, but roughly a third of adults, right? It's a little more common in men. It's like 40% in men and 30% in women. Uh, But it's, it's like, you know, somebody in your house has this, right? If you have a house of four. Um, so it's uh, just enormously common. It is like a distinctly uh, Western phenomenon. And by that, I mean like an American phenomenon, right? It's uh, it, it's the milieu that we live in. So yeah, one in three, according to the CDC have it. So you got that right. Eight in 10 don't know they have it, Whoa. which is scary, mm-hmm. right? Because there are, well, I think we'll get into this. There are no like symptoms at this point. I mean, the only way you can really find out, and I might be wrong as a test, but let's hit that in a second. And this is another interesting statistic. One out of every $4 spent on healthcare is related to diabetes. So once you start on this road towards diabetes, it's not only going to cost you money in healthcare dollars, but it could, you know, it costs the country just a ton as well. Um, another interesting thing that I saw too, Dr. Shabbat confirm, uh, this, if it's true, race and ethnicity are also a factor like African-Americans, Hispanic, Latino Americans, American Indians, Pacific Islanders, and some Asian Americans are at higher risk. Yes. Well, yeah, lots of stuff goes into that. It's a combination of the places and conditions that folks live, but also genetics. So yeah, the socioeconomic reasons and, um, genetic reasons as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So what is this condition exactly? Let's define what it is. Let's define why I should be more like, oh no, and less meh. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of different measures for glucose. Um, and that's what we're talking about, right? Is just that your glucose is abnormal. Your blood glucose is abnormal, but not yet to a threshold that we've sort of arbitrarily de- defined as diabetes. So there's a couple different things that people might actually see. I usually think of this as the A1C or hemoglobin A1C. That's a three-month average of your blood sugars that just comes out in one number. Uh, so normal is less than 5.7 and diabetes is 6.5 and up. And if you're somewhere in the middle, we call that prediabetes. And then there's a fasting blood sugar, right? First thing in the morning, you haven't eaten anything, you get a blood draw. And that is somewhere between 100 and 126. That's what we call pre-diabetes. Less than 100, you're normal. Over 126, you're just full-fledged diabetes. And I was at 99. I mean, (laughs) is it that close to 100 reason to be super concerned or could I just run at that level? I I, I think 99. (laughs) You know, you got to draw the line somewhere. (laughs) Should we be worried at 98? I don't know. Um, I'm getting awfully Mo- close to that speed limit size. So yeah, right. Consider hitting yeah. brakes, maybe. So basically, I give you kudos for for being concerned. But uh, well, I mean, here's the thing, though. Like, I had a doctor tell me that they were concerned. They're like, "You're really close to that 100." And I've had other doctors since then not too concerned about it at all. So what's going on there? You know, we're we're trying not to get like alarm fatigue with folks to say, <laughs> you know, like, you know, oh man, we need to worry about 
the thing before the thing before the thing, right? Like, cause you know, the reason we defined diabetes the way we did is like, that's where you start to get organ dysfunction. And we know that in pre-diabetes, you're not yet to the point of having organ dysfunction, but you are very much at risk for developing diabetes later in life, right? That's the distinction is like pre-diabetes means you are at a huge risk for diabetes. Um, so if you're pre-pre-diabetes, as in your case, I'm not sure how to help you right. other than okay. <laughs> exercise. Yeah. Um, let me throw this out there. So without intervention, many people with pre-diabetes could develop type 2 diabetes within five years is what they're saying. What? Yeah. So like if you get that pre-diabetes you know, diagnosis, if you do nothing, you could develop type 2 diabetes within five years. Okay, mm -hmm. pause, 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 pause. Everyone, I'm looking at my results from my most latest report. Okay, my doctor hasn't said anything. But if the glucose is above 100, that's pre-diabetes? Fasting glucose. Yeah. So did you eat that? Yeah. Day? No, it's fasting glucose. I'm at 101. Why wouldn't my doctor bring that up? Oh, revelations. I, I have a big history of family type 2 diabetes. Like I... Wouldn't, wouldn't pre-diabetes be like something that the doctor would be like, hey, we should probably like get this figured out? Yep, definitely. <laughs> wow. Sorry. Oh. All right. This is this is high drama. I'm sorry. I hate this show sometimes. <laughs> oh my God. So Matt, just hearing that though, you're you're definitely concerned. Like if, if you were Mitch's doctor and you saw a fasting glucose of 101, you'd say you're pre-diabetic, like pre-diabetes range. Yep. Now, yeah. I... Don't want to throw under anybody okay. under the bus, but I am guessing perhaps this was missed and not okay. like they looked at it and intentionally ignored it. Sure. I'm guessing somebody thought, oh, maybe he ate something that day, you know, like. Oh, sure. So I think it's totally valid. And, you know, if somebody brought that kind of number to me, I would just say, oh, my gosh, sorry. Yes, let's talk about it. <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. All right. So could, could that number Mitch has be a little confused? Because there's a couple of tests, right? You said there's the mm. A1C test, which is the average. And then mm -hmm. there's your fasting glucose. But I'm looking at one of my results, which is my A1C. And I have a component, estimated average glucose. And then I have my value. And then I have an HGB A1C. And that estimated average glucose is 111. I mean, that's higher than what I've seen my fasting glucose at. I thought. Yep. And that, re that reflects where you are with all your meals throughout the day. Okay. Right? Mm. So, and um, I don't have the chart in, fr in front of me. What was that A1C that they gave you that 111? 5.5%. Yeah. 5.5%. Okay. Great. So that hemoglobin A1C is normal. And the fact that your average hovers something above where your fasting is totally okay. Right. Cause you got to eat at some point. All right. So, so we're sure that Mitch is Mitch. What'd your number say? I'm concerned about you, Mitch. So I want to make sure. I know. I know. I'm also concerned about me. Um, fasting glucose, most recent result, 101. Okay. Since we're all sharing here, I I, I was happy with <laughs> mine, 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 mine. Now that I'm looking at them too, I just had to reconfirm. I just had some blood work done a couple of weeks ago. But yeah, so mine was 83 and then A1C was 5. So all right. Hey, let's look at that. cholesterol levels then. Why don't hey. we do that? <laughs> We're not. I, I already told you. I my cholesterol went up twenty points on this test. So I was my LDL went up twenty points, and I was like, "What in the world have I done here?" Yeah, that's another conversation. That is. I love that you all are disclosing your numbers. Like, I know. Did we sign HIPAA waivers, or that's all we no. do. Yeah, yeah, we just we just disclose, and we don't we don't sign waivers. None of us are good <laughs> at anything like you know darts or anything that we can uh, you know. So we we brag about our numbers. Our <laughs> 
Yeah, we have to have some, nice. something to something yeah. to fill the show. We just talk about our numbers. So, all right. So we talked about like how you know how do you know you're kind of headed into that territory? And, and the way I think about this, Doctor Shabbat, and tell me if you agree with this or not, is actually being told you have prediabetes is one of the best things you can find out because there's still time to do something about it before it develops into diabetes. Would you agree with that? Yeah, totally. Like, I mean, it's a couldn't, good couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I, I think this is the intervenable moment, right? Um, because once you've progressed significantly in your disease, then certain ships have already sailed. I'm not going to say it's all doom and gloom necessarily, but you really don't want diabetes and you don't have it yet, right? And you're in good company. There's, you know, if you have pre-diabetes, you know, there's a lot of people in that situation and they don't feel anything yet. And that, right. so, and that's, that's the good thing about it, right? It's like, you, you're not going to keel over or anything. It, you just, you have time to really reevaluate what you're doing in terms of your diet and your exercise. All right. So let's, let's hit br briefly on, you know, what are the impacts of diabetes? So say you do nothing and you head into diabetes land, you cross that, you, you're still doing 45. Now the speed limit's 25. What, what what kind of ticket you get in here? Like, what are some of the things that happens to people that get diabetes? And it's not nice. It's not right. good, by the way. I mean, so diabetes is basically in every organ system when we talk about end organ dysfunction. But it's heart attacks and strokes are the big ones, right? Because those kill people instantly um, or seriously disable them, right? Um, but there's a lot of other things, right? Like uh, vision loss that leads to blindness and, you know, macular degeneration and things like that. Um, and like retinal disease in the back of your eye. So uh, there's also kidney failure and nerve damage. So um, the kidney failure is not the kind of thing that people feel immediately, but um, will set you up for all sorts of bad things later on down the road. I'll just leave it at that. And then nerve damage. I think that's the other thing that people really feel that's, you know, the numbness, tingling, burning and pain that happens. It starts at the tips of your toes and creeps up your legs. Uh, and then that leads to inability to feel tiny wounds in your feet or heal those tiny wounds in your feet. So, um, you have poorly controlled diabetics that end up losing toes or having ulcers in the bottom of their feet. Um, all bad stuff. Um, but you know, you can decide which of those you're more worried about, I suppose. Right. Plus also not to be underestimated, just the mental toll, the mental health toll of living with a chronic condition like that. It impacts your, it impacts your quality of life and it can really impact your, your mental health as well. Right. And you're living from medicine to medicine and you, there's lots of doctor's appointments. There's lots of testing. And uh, the people who really do badly ignore their diabetes, but even the people that are on top of it, it is a lot of work. And yeah, yeah we, effort and time you could be spending on better things in life. Like it's just sure. better not to be there. And then for men in particular, does it, is it true? I've heard it can impact testosterone production leading to low testosterone levels. And also it can lead to erectile dysfunction. Yes. Uh, yes to all those things. Um, so uh, the testosterone connection, I, I think, is um, is interesting. We can talk about, but the erectile dysfunction is even independent of testosterone levels. It's uh, you know you start to get blood vessels that don't 
pump blood well, right? That's the basis of all those diseases I talked about before, right? The problem going on in the back of your eye, the problem going on in your kidney, and that's also going on in your penis, right? So um, you don't get good blood flow and that leads to that erectile dysfunction. I was going to say, yeah, in terms of complications, you know, Matt, everything you talked about, and I think just seeing the other end of that, the people who come in with diabetes that they've had for years, and what they face as a result of it, it's just, it's its a horrible disease. And I feel so bad for people who have it. And where I also do a lot of work in wound care, quite honestly, you know, the the, the majority of patients, or at least, you know, at least 40% of patients I see in wound care are people with diabetes. Like you mentioned, those wounds on their feet, complications, infections in the bones in the feet. So, you know, I'd, I'd hate to just pick a disease out there that I just wouldn't want to have because I'm afraid if I say that, then I'm going to get it. Or else I'm going to get another really bad disease, but I can say diabetes, if I had to pick a disease I'd never want or a condition, diabetes would definitely be at the, you know, toward the top of that list, if not the top, just because of everything you mentioned and everything that just goes wrong as a result of it. All right. So I'm freaking out. Um, no, it's fine. It's, it's fine. Okay, so I have a family so history of diabetes. I don't have it, though. I don't have it. So I have a family history of diabetes. I apparently have had been in a pre-diabetic for the last year and a half. You said it can be five years until things happen. What could I do to change my life, like tomorrow, that could help me, like, move away from the edge? I'm so excited that we have a test case right here, right I, now. I'm so well, glad you're excited. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I will say, like, he's been monitoring it for the past, how, how many years would this be? I guess you're getting it every quarter, so it hasn't yeah. been years, right? Yeah, every, every quarter. So yeah. um, about a year and a half or so. Got so it. It's been a year and a half, and it's been about the same over that year and a half. Yeah. Like, so, kind of like a 101 to 103 range, it sounds mm-hmm. like. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean... The good news is, right, Dr. Spot, I'm going to go ahead and do the diagnosis here. Uh, <laughs> Please be my guest. I think you're you're well trained at this point. <laughs> the, the good yeah. news is it stayed the same. And he's I think that's that statistic I said about it's going to develop into diabetes. We're not seeing the trend towards that. Sure. Yet. Sure. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, that particular um, statistic that we said, you know, it's like in five years, that is really variable. It should be noted. Right. And sure. um a lot of times while we're doing lifestyle things, what we're doing is monitoring this, right? And, you know, it, sometimes just not progressing anymore is a success in and of itself, right? Um, so it's not all doom and gloom for for our friend Mitch, but uh, <laughs> we, we can talk about the other things that we can do by tomorrow and then sort of like the long-term stuff. Um, so... I think we alluded to uh, diet and exercise and we can certainly go there, but there's also uh, recently a little bit of like prescription medication that's been used in this zone uh, to prevent progression to diabetes. Are we ready to talk about that? Before we get there, like, let's talk about these risk factors. If somebody should even know they should be concerned, we've all had our numbers done. Is this a pretty standard test that a doctor is going to do if you go into a a physical or is it something you're going to have to ask for? Because if I understand correctly, there are no symptoms to prediabetes. You do not know. Yeah, yes. the only reason I have these numbers is because I, I'm getting tested for a different medication and I just happen to have them. Right. So, okay. Yeah, no symptoms whatsoever. Yeah, let's say somebody comes into your office. Like, what's going to dictate whether you give them a, a test to determine if they have it? Age and weight. Okay. Uh, or, well, when I say weight, I mean BMI. So if you're, and uh, maybe you guys have talked about BMI, but I I always sort of define it for people a little bit. It's, you know, your weight 
for your height, right? So it's your weight adjusted for your height. And if you're overweight, that's a BMI over 25, or if you're obese, that's over 30. Um, that's a little bit of a deceptive number, admittedly, because it doesn't really allow for muscle mass. Um, it just sort of assumes fat mass. So like Dwayne The Rock Johnson would have an obese BMI, but obviously he's not obese. He's made out of muscle. Um, so, um, But it, it's sort of a population-based metric that we have is say like if you are overweight um then you should be getting uh some monitoring of your blood sugar um you know with with some regularity now that people will go in different directions about how often that should be um but for me it's part of an annual physical oh for you it's an annual physical every patient that comes to your door gets one who's overweight yeah oh, okay well i mean so some of the other risk factors i saw 45 years or older yep um, if your parent, brother, or sister has type two diabetes, mm -hmm. if you're physically active less than three times a week, I agree, agree but okay. I, I personally, necessarily uh, I don't jump all over that one necessarily. Right. But yeah. And then we talked about race and ethnicity are also a factor, but let me tell you, I was none of those things. My BMI was at the edge, but it was normal. I got a body fat analysis that told a whole different story, <laughs> mm. believe it or not. So, I mean, I'm thankful that somebody decided they wanted to do this test. Maybe they saw something I didn't. Maybe they looked at my BMI and looked at my, you know, you take your shirt off and they listen. Maybe they're like, well, I better check this guy. Because I'm a skinny fat guy, Dr. Shabbat. Have you ever, you run, right, you yeah. run, in, you run into me before? <laughs> you have the opposite body composition problem from The Rock. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I'm the anti-rock. <laughs> I'm the sponge. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <The> squish <laughs> not an intimidating wrestler name by any stretch of the imagination um so okay so if somebody's overweight you you would you would suggest this is this something that somebody could suggest on their own and what's the cost like i mean is it a, is it a good investment it, of yeah, my dollars very good investment right i mean this should be minimal as far as blood tests go it's almost gotten as an afterthought sometime which i think might have been the case with mitch right you you probably had a panel that was looking for other things in regards to other medicines and the yep. glucose just happened to come along with it. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's really not expensive in any way, shape or form. All right. All right. So now for somebody like Mitch and myself, now we can get into the things we can do for somebody like Mitch and myself. We're, you know, borderline or a little over the border, but still, you know, in pretty good shape, right? Uh -huh. What are some things we can do in the short term? So in the short term, uh, Decreasing the amount of carbohydrates and calories overall will help you to lose weight, but also decrease this number. And then also increasing the intensity and frequency and duration of your exercise. All those things will help. And what's nice here is that each of those things will help independently, right? So if you change your diet, but you don't quite get to the exercise thing, you're still going to see some improvement statistically, right? And, and vice versa. Um, and as I sort of alluded to, there's medicines, right? That's sort of like the thing that takes effect tomorrow. Those lifestyle changes are hard, admittedly, right? Um, and I do a lot of talking to patients about those because they're just, you know, so tricky to really work into your life. And I, and I think people kind of beat themselves up about it sometimes. So I usually, uh, you know, try to approach it as like, you know, this is hard for a good reason, right? Like, let's, let's try to acknowledge that, but also tackle it. And Matt, what if someone does those things and they improve their diet and they're exercising and they don't lose weight? Are they still going to see benefit from that even without losing weight? Yes. 
yes, definitely. And yeah, that's, um, that, that's a tricky thing, right? Exercise makes these sorts of metabolic numbers that we're talking about better, right? When we're talking about like sugars and, but, but also cholesterol, but exercise doesn't always make the scale do what you want it to do. Right. Uh, so you can be changing your body composition, but not changing your number. Right. That's why we sort of accept that weight is an imperfect measure of all this kind of stuff. If you were to pick one of the two diet or exercise, which one would you tell somebody to do first? Hmm. If you had to prioritize it for them, they're like, I can only do one or the other exercise. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's a cool story. Tell, tell why exercise works. And it gets back to the way that these metabolic diseases kind of formulate and the absorption of sugar into the cells. I, I think this is fascinating. Right. So um, exercise works in a lot of different hormonal ways, but at its basis, right, you're taking skeletal muscle and asking it to do work and it uses blood sugar to do that work. Um, so then it produces like takes that energy and makes it into motion and heat. Uh, so, and in the process you're doing a lot of other things. It's, it's complicated of course, but that makes the muscle itself grow and be larger, right? So you grow more muscle cells and those cells just sitting around have a certain basal metabolic rate, right? So when you're, exercising, you're growing that muscle mass. And while you're, you're burning blood sugar during the act of exercise, but you're also burning more blood sugar if you, uh, you know, between exercise sessions. And it also has something to do with like, if you're insulin resistant, insulin is trying to take that blood sugar and get it into your cells, but it's not working properly. Right. right. So then your right. body releases more insulin and then that's what starts causing some of these problems. But exercise is kind of the shortcut to getting that energy into the cells without as much insulin or without insulin. Am I help? Yes, help me that, that. that's exactly true. There's only two types of cells that use blood sugar without any insulin being involved. And that's the brain and exercising skeletal muscle. So you, you sort of shortcut that insulin idea, right? Cause insulin is working all the time to try to keep your blood sugar in a normal place, you know, despite you eating or not eating for you know, periods of time. So it's, it's just out there to regulate. But if you have so much energy, so much blood sugar on board all the time that insulin is working overtime, uh, and you're just flooded with insulin constantly, then you run into problems that the receptors of insulin start to downregulate. So you become resistant to your insulin. So it, it doesn't have the same effect anymore. And that's how the blood sugar starts to creep up. You've broken your thermostat at that point. Right. And then, so by exercising, you're getting rid of that sugar without the use of insulin. So your, your fasting glucose and all that glucose level would go down. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's neat guys. <laughs> a little no, I think it is too. And is that um, strength training exercise or aerobic exercise or doesn't it matter? Both. Um, I think okay. um, most of the evidence is that combination of the two is where it's at. If you had to pick one, I don't know. I think it's mostly the one that you can do, right? Yeah, like, sure. so, <laughs> so I, I'm just excited to get people doing either. Um, and I think there's probably a little debate uh, among PhD types about which is more ideal, but really uh, both in terms of um, like improving all these endpoints that we're talking about. To me, it's great to hear that Number one, exercise is the starting point that you'd recommend. Certainly diet and exercise, but if you can only do one, just start exercising, start moving more, whatever whatever works for you. But 
the simple fact that you may not be dropping weight, you probably will, I'm guessing, if you start exercising more, but you may not, but you're still going to see benefit. You're still going to see most likely that hemoglobin A1C number come down over time, your fasting glucose, you're still going to see those benefits even without losing a lot of weight. So that's encouraging. And I love that point because a lot of times we equate exercise with weight loss. And if we think we're not losing weight, we think we're not getting healthier. Mm -hmm. But there's all sorts of stuff going on inside your body that's getting healthy, even if the exterior does not show it. So I love that you brought that up, Troy. Quite honestly, I was under the assumption that you would not see the benefit until you started dropping the pounds. But that's that's not true. So that's good to hear. Dr. Shabbat, let's pretend that there's a patient in your office. You just told them they have prediabetes. They're like, they're, they're not meh. They're, oh, no. You explain to them, no, this is actually a good thing because we can do something about it now. Here's what I would recommend that you do. Here are my beginning recommendations, and I'll check back in with you, like, just pretend it's six months later and see how you're doing, and we'll adjust from there. But, like, those very first steps, I'd imagine if they drink soda, reduce that amount of soda. I think that would be, like, easy for you, right? Uh, yes. the, what are some of those I'm easy- so excited that you mentioned soda. Soda okay. is my, uh, you know, like my Don Quixote windmill that I'm <laughs> tilting at all the time. Uh, because like here in Utah, the soda consumption is so high. Um, like soda consumption per capita outstrips, you know, most other states in the United States. It's very interesting. But um, uh, so, yeah, mostly I would look at low hanging fruit in the diet, right? Because diet is complicated. And I think it's easy to get overwhelmed and it's, and it's easy to use too much broad strokes to be like, just eat less, right? Like, you know, nobody's measuring their food from a day to day. So where I usually start with people is something like soda, right? Like what is the correct amount of soda? Zero, right? Uh, you know, that is high octane, terrible fuel uh, to put in your body it is like no redeeming anything because it, is such a huge sudden burst of blood sugar that almost nobody's insulin can keep up with that, right? Unless you are literally just going to run in, like directly after drinking that soda, it's it's gonna exit. You know, you're gonna go through a transient period of having your blood sugar be abnormally high. So I would say increase your exercise, decrease your amount of refined sugars that you're taking in, and think about metformin, which is the medicine that I end up talking to people about. Um, so decreasing those refined sugars, like we talked about, it's soda, it's dessert, it's white bread. Um, to some extent, it's also things like pasta, uh, but mostly it's soda and desserts, right? Okay. Those, those things are just hard to mitigate. Um, and exercise, like we talked about, it's, it's always a negotiation. It's always a little bit of, you know, what can you do? But it just has to be more at the end of the day, right? If you ask a doctor, how much should I exercise? They'll say more. (laughs) Uh, So um, exercise is as close to a panacea, like a cure-all that we have. And um, for lots of other reasons beyond what we're talking about here, but definitely for this. It's important to do changes that you can maintain for long periods of time, right? That you can conceptualize well and keep up, right? So I, you know, as far as a lot of these things I say like, you know, the perfect amount of soda is probably zero, but admittedly, if you go to a party, maybe that's, you know, like 
once a week, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's okay. Right. And allowing yourself that because it's the things we do daily that really hurt us. And, uh, and then the medication options, right. Which is, uh, that, you know, there's been some studies that showed that there's a pill that prevents progression to diabetes and that's metformin. Um, uh, and I, I prescribe that pretty regularly. Um, there's pluses and, uh, and minuses, uh, for any medication, right? There's no such thing as a zero side effect to medicine, but, um, that I think has to be part of the conversation. Um, you know, especially for a lot of people who are going to struggle with this, cause it, it's hard, even if you follow all my advice, right. That can have like the genetic cards stacked against you and, you know, you can't stop aging and all the, you know, between genetics and aging, sometimes despite our best intentions, we see the numbers go in the wrong direction. So hearing hearing those treatment options, and let's say again, thank you, Mitch, for for being the uh, person we're able to kind of talk about some numbers. <laughs> no with. problem, I appreciate it. Uh, with Mitch's numbers, would you bring up something like metformin, or would you just say, "Hey, you're a little on the high side. Let's focus diet and exercise, and recheck this in a year or two? Where Mitch is, I would not necessarily jump right to medicines. That's for sure because he is, um, yes, pre diabetes, but I think you know you got to appreciate the gradient here, and that you know if normal fasting glucose is a hundred or less. You said you were 101, 102, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's still not, you know, so far gone, right? I, I think you could easily see enough effect size from a lifestyle change um, to stave this off for many, many years or forever. You feeling better, Mitch? Yeah. Okay? Yeah. I'm feeling better. It's fine. <laughs> I don't know if I believe you. <laughs> now, it, well, that's just kind of it. Is it's it's having had diabetes in my family, having seen some of the things that happen. Like that's always been a fear. You know, that's always been a concern. Something to make sure that I don't get to that point, right? And so there's just a little bit of like a shock happening right now, where it's just like. I am, I'm not even supposed to be checking that. I was told I was healthy, you know, like I'm, I'm checking other things. And so it's just this kind of interesting, like real time turning point, I guess. Oh, buddy. I'm so <laughs> yeah, sorry. It's fine. I mean, I've been there too. Like when yeah. I got the news, it was, it was, uh, you know, it was not only an assault upon my identity, but it was a little scary. Cause I'm like, what I'm heading towards what? Yeah. Like, you know, and when you're at the beginning of that journey, then you start watching those numbers. Are they going up? Are they going up? You know, what <laughs> yeah, do? Yeah. And I think I, I feel like the answer is not go completely overboard and eliminate all joy from your diet. You know? <laughs> right, right. Is it just like managing portions a little bit better? Or is it just trying to, you know, just like Dr. Shabbat said, just a little bit more exercise, mm -hmm. you know, when you can? I, I don't know. I was going to say, would it be helpful for Mitch to get a hemoglobin A1C checked as well at this point? Yeah, I think so. I think more okay. information is helpful in this. And I think the hemoglobin A1C, I honestly kind of prefer to some degree because it reflects uh, a larger time period, right? Any one glucose can cheat a little bit, right? Um, you know, yes, you were fasting, but were you fasting for 10 hours? Were you fasting for six sure. hours, right? Like, did you have a midnight snack? You know, I, I, I don't know. Right. So, um, the hemoglobin A1C kind of gets rid of some of that guessing. So I think it'd be a great test. Something else I came across, Mitch, is the national diabetes prevention program, um, from the centers for disease control and prevention that they, they have these programs. It's, it's not so much that they put it on, but I think they must provide the information. Um, Dr. Shabbat, are you familiar with these? Like we have some yeah. at university of Utah health center clinics, 
Um, there are numerous ones out in the, the community. I'll put a link up. You can find one near you. Um, tell me a little bit about what this is. If somebody is just so overwhelmed that they, you know, they want to take control of it, but they just don't have the knowledge or the experience yet to do that. These programs are great and they're basically a lot of education. And, and I think we were, we were starting to tiptoe into this of like, okay, now what do I do with my diet? Right. There's a lot of things you can think about or do, yeah. right? Like how do you decrease your portion sizes, right? How do you decide which things have less refined sugars, right? Um, we're, we're throwing these words around, but that that's not obvious, right? Um, and uh, these sorts of prevention programs are, you know, have dietitians involved and exercise uh, therapists and coaches and things like that, as, uh, as well as people that are there to help you navigate this idea and like how to make it better. So, um, I think, uh, you know, the, how, how do you adjust your diet? I, I think is a, is the really complicated thing that they help with the best. We talk on this podcast a lot about the core four diet and nutrition and sleep and mental health, but you know, within nutrition, wow, there's a lot to know. <laughs> Yeah, sure. There's a lot that we were maybe never taught or perspectives we never considered before. And these programs can help, you know, if you need that extra help. And I, there's no shame in, you know, investing a little money if you have to, because it's better than what you're going to spend if you get diabetes or what the impact it's going to have on your life. Sure. All right. Well, is there a takeaway you have, Troy? Just from hearing about both of your experiences that it's probably not a bad idea just to get a fasting blood sugar checked, even if you don't fall into those categories. And Matt, I don't know if you agree with that or if you're ever just doing that with people like under 45 who are not overweight. But um, yeah, just kind of hearing your experiences makes me think that it's probably not the worst idea to do that maybe once every few years. Yeah, I agree with the idea of getting a fasting blood sugar. I, I um I often don't, I'll admit, because um, I'm just trying to access the most people. And if people show up in my clinic without having fasted, and I, I say, great, we'll just get the A1C, right? And we know that's not the same and it's not totally perfect, but um, the important thing is to get checked sure. one way or the other, right? And you know, if it takes a second trip to get checked, I'm like, oh, I got to come back tomorrow and skip <laughs> breakfast and things like that. Uh, you know, a lot of people let that slide and don't actually do it. So the more, the best test is the one that you do. Um, in, yeah. And in I've my contacted mind. my physician beforehand and said, before I come in for my appointment, I'd like to have this test. Can you make that happen? So then we can discuss yep. the lab work during my appointment. So that's another option. Yeah. That's totally a great option. Mitch, take away. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I have a feeling there are some episodes that impact each one of us a little bit differently. I think this one impacted you in a major way. Uh, I was not expecting it. Oh my! This is okay, like the migraine so, episode when you realized you had migraines. Yeah, <laughs> probably. And me like too. I'm like, we through. both yeah. had migraines. Yeah. But, I think, but I think this is a universal experience. I don't think anybody who gets told they have prediabetes expects it, or maybe some people yeah. do. I don't. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Well, and I guess that that for me at least, it just kind of continues to like prove like the thesis of men should talk to each other about their health because you know how else would i have known right if 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 because i've i've been really focusing on mental health over the last year mental health and sleep those were the big ones that i've been focusing on i i let the you know i got i've been working on pt to get better i haven't been working out quite as much as i used to i'm still doing it a couple times a week you know my diet hasn't been quite as much but ever maybe I need to reprioritize some things if 
I'm in a state that could get yeah. worse, I guess. Dr. Shabbat, thank you very much. If you're listening, I think our challenge to you is um, maybe consider having a conversation with your provider about getting an A1C test or a fasting glucose test, especially if you fall within the higher risk um, categories. But even if you don't and you just would like that peace of mind, um, it doesn't sound like it's a terribly expensive test if you had to pay for it out of pocket. Uh, it could give you a lot of valuable information. And if you've uh, been told you have pre-diabetes, hopefully this podcast is taking you from meh to, oh no, what, what should I, what, <laughs> what can I do today? What's one thing I can do today? And I think my takeaway from this is that one thing is get out and exercise first and foremost, do a little bit more. If you're doing nothing, start doing some, uh, and then start working on those refined sugars in your diet. Everybody's got a couple of things probably that they know they shouldn't be eating as much of as they are. Um, maybe you could look at your diet and see what those things are. And if you need help, go to that CDC website and find a program near you that can help you get you the information you need to take control of your health. Because this is one of those rare moments in health where you get news where you can still do something about it to avoid something that's not so great. Well, gentlemen, as always, a great conversation. Thank you for listening today. And thank you for caring about men's health.